What really holds people back from going in the direction they believe they're supposed to go in life? Could they believe that they think it's too late? Maybe they think it's too hard? Would you believe that for some people, it's actually the fear of success that holds them back? These are just a few of the topics we're going to discuss on today's episode with world-renowned opera singer, Morris Robinson. Welcome to the Doer's Journey podcast, the podcast that will motivate and inspire you to not only be a hearer, but to start being a doer. Because you know deep in your heart that there's so much more in you. The purpose of each episode is to provide you with actionable steps that you can take to assist you in your journey towards your goals. We will have topics that are relevant to you, and you'll hear from experts and influencers that will provide you with information you can take action on. I'm your host, Carlos Frank. Now let's be doers and dive into this episode. All right. Hey, 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 TDJ family. Carlos Frank here. I'm excited that you're listening to this new episode. And I got a couple of things to share with you before we move on. Number one. So the other day I had somebody say, Carlos, why are you always saying TD Jakes on the podcast? Why are you always giving him a shout out? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you're always saying TD Jakes. And I was like, no, man, I'm saying T D J as in the doer's journey. It's T as in tango, D as in delta, J as in Jack. And he was like, oh, man, I thought you were saying T.D. Jakes. So, you know, I might have to think about my abbreviations there, but it's T.D.J. Family. And I'm always saying that. I'm always abbreviating it, especially on Facebook and things like that. And by the way, are you on Facebook? Are we connected on Facebook? If not, you know, after this, you listen to this episode, please hop on over there. Go to Facebook and you can go to the Doer's Journey podcast. Search for that. Like the page. Connect with me there. Uh, I'm always sharing different things on there outside of the podcast and also answering any questions that you might have. So let's connect over there as well. And then if you haven't done so, please leave a rating and a review for the podcast because that's how people actually find the podcast by ratings and reviews. Uh, and that's just something the Apple and Stitcher and all those podcast platforms, they just like that. And the more ratings and reviews, five star ratings and reviews that a podcast has, the greater their, I guess, their algorithms work. So I don't know all that technical stuff. I just know when you search for something and a podcast has a lot of ratings and reviews, the more likely it is for you to find it. So if you haven't done so, please go out there and do that when you have a chance. I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, let me introduce you to the special guest that you're going to be hearing from on today's podcast. Today, you're going to be hearing from Morris Robinson. Morris is a world-renowned opera singer who has sung at the most esteemed and traditional opera venues in the world. But his path to opera was anything but traditional. See, he only started at about age 29, which is about 10 to 15 years later than most people who sing an opera and have mastered it would have started. In college, Morris was a three-time All-American in football and had dreams in playing in the NFL. And as you listen to our whole conversation, you're going to hear Morris's incredible story of how he overcame doubt, how he overcame the mindset of, hey, maybe it's too late for me to make a change in my life. Can you relate to that? 
And make sure you stick around to the end because you're going to hear how he overcame one of the biggest hurdles in his still growing opera career. So let's listen into my conversation now with renowned opera singer Morris Robinson. All right, Do His Journey family, welcome to this episode of the podcast. <laughs> I'm excited to have with me, as you heard in the introduction, Morris Robinson. Right. Good to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for being here. So, so Morris, let's let's talk because as we talked prior to this interview and going into <clears throat> this, you know, I think there's a lot of people, and I know I've been in the boat myself, where sometimes you're at a place in life where you feel like you're not really where you're supposed to be. Uh, and you f- feel like it might be too late. And that age, some people that could be age 30, age 40, age 50. So that's what I want to talk about today. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your doer's journey, kind of where you went from as far as from high school to college when it comes to your musical journey. Well, I went to a high school performing arts here in Atlanta, Georgia called Northside School of the Arts. My mom wanted me to audition for the chorus. I'd never sung in chorus in, in school before, and I was like, eh, I'm not doing that. I was in the band, so I auditioned for the band for the School of the Arts, and I got accepted. And she made me audition for the chorus also, which I didn't want to do, but she said, you know, you should try both. So I got accepted to both the band and the chorus, which is unusual. It's usually two periods of, the, of one to the other. <clears throat> I did both. When I got to the first football game, I was in the marching band, had my little hat on, had my uniform on, holding the baritone horn. I was like, I don't want to be up here in the band with these guys. I want to be out there on the football field with a cool guy. So, so I went back to the school administration in the spring and said, I'd like to join chorus full-time so that I can play football. So the two always coexisted in that I actually became a singer in order to play football, which is weird in of itself, but because, because of the type of school I went to, that's how it worked. Uh, my junior year in high school, we did the Mozart Requiem, and I'd sing all the bass solos in chorus for that. And my senior year, we did the Haydn's Creation, and I sang all the bass solos for that. I was also a decently talented football player, so I had football scholarship offers and music scholarship offers, and I decided to go to uh, the trial alma mater to the play football. So the dichotomy of my life has always been present, and my ability to navigate between the two has always been present because I think the two feed off of one another. Mm-hmm. Lots of people question me when I say that they're very similar, but they are. You know, as an athlete, you know, we depend on our bodies to be our instruments, to how we express ourselves, and you have to keep your body in shape. And the same thing goes with your voice. You know, it requires discipline, it requires training, it requires sacrifice, it requires practice, it requires coaching. So those two things always go hand in hand. So uh, to go back in line with the story, I was at the Citadel. I played football there, but I was also the director of the gospel choir. And I played piano for them my first year. And then, you know, I had a wonderful football career at the Citadel. Had some pretty legendary musical experiences there as well because they're not used to having people that can sing like I do there. So it was kind of cool to go through that whole process. But it wasn't until the age of 30, when I was working for 3M in corporate America, that uh, my wife actually made an audition for me without me knowing about it. Because she know, she know, I was singing at different weddings and singing at singing the national anthem at baseball games and football games and things like that. But I wasn't really doing much with my voice. And uh, she set an audition for me with the Coral Arts Society of Washington. And I went in at the last minute. I wasn't prepared for the audition, but I took in the tuba mirum from the Mozart Requiem. And the guy started playing, and I went, and they were like, what are you doing here? Who are you? And I was like, why are they shocked? You know, like, they hear this all the time. And they were like, no, we don't hear this all the time. So that was kind of the 
the sign that maybe I had a real future at doing this if I wanted to. So I was in that course for a while. But then I moved to New England and very reluctantly auditioned for the New England Conservatory of Music. Uh, they had a weekend program for working professionals. I was working for then the Division of Exxon selling raw materials, and I sang the national anthem for them, and they offered me a position in the opera studio. So I was 29 years old then. So I did the opera studio thing with them. You know, you make your own costumes, you sing stuff on the weekends, you know, you go once a week. And I did a production with them, and the director of music from Boston University heard me sing and literally offered me a full scholarship because I quit my job to study opera. And I was like, do what? You know, like, who would do this? You know, I got a company car, expense account, had a mortgage, had a wife, you know, had all these things that, you know, one looks at security, as security in life. Well, I didn't have any kids, so I was very apprehensive about it, but my family and friends were very, very encouraging, saying that, you know, you should take this opportunity. You have, you know, give it two years. If it works out for you, great. If it doesn't, at least you'll have the experience behind you. Say, I did that for two years, and I pursued it, and I enjoyed that edification process. So I did it. I quit my job. I started studying opera, and I've never had to look back. <laughs> it's changed my life. Awesome. Yeah. So, so let, let's back up a little bit with your story. So while you were in college, did was music one of the things you were targeting while you were in school, or was it the NFL? What were you looking towards after school in college? Well, I had very, very uh, vague visions of the NFL. Coming out the Citadel, you know, you realize that you're not in the top tier of athletic choices, but I was a good player. You know, my vision then was going to med school or law school or getting a great job in corporate America. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was pretty intelligent enough to figure out something, you know, in the working field. Music was not on my radar because I had no examples of what having a career in music would be like. There aren't very many opera singers just floating around in our neighborhoods to say, hey, be like me. So I was, uh, I had no idea of using music at all. Nothing. Wow. So now, but you did try out for the NFL, right? They came to school. I had a pro day. They checked uh -huh. me out. I uh -huh. ran the uh, 40. It took them an hourglass. They turned the hourglass <laughs> upside down. I beat the sand. Uh, yeah, man, you know, I was six, two and a half, 290, mm -hmm. almost six, three, 290, which I thought was a great size, you know, for college at the time. I was a prototype guard for the wishbone offense, you know, four point stance, firing out low, you know, crab blocking, undercutting taking out linebackers' legs, that was great. But at the next level, you know, you need a little bit more size, a little bit more height, a little bit more pass blocking, blah, blah, blah. So that was a bitter pill to swallow. Like, for several years after college football, I couldn't even watch college football on TV. Couldn't. Because, you know, that's your life. It becomes your identity. So, you you know, when it walks away from you, it's a very bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, and I remember reading or hearing this, that you made a, a pretty life-changing decision, or you said something to yourself after that pro tryout, where you said, uh, in the article, you said that if you had another opportunity to be excellent at something, you were going to go for it. So how has yeah, that you know, served you during these years? Well, you know, I mean, I was at 3M working, and I was taking an intern out on the date, and uh, they gave me the tickets to the 3M box to go to the Vikings game. It's a preseason game. I had a 3M box. I'm walking in. I'm a hotshot young marketing guy. Got a little cute girl with me. I'm going to impress her. Walk into the room. You know, it's a beautiful room, free drinks, food, and everything. And I see the guys on the football field and go, it's the first time I've ever been to a football game as a spectator. I was just last year out there on the field, and now I'm not there anymore. And that hurt. I mean, it hurt bad. Like, I could not watch college football for years. And when the uh, what's the kickoff class that they used to have, 
like the first college football game of the year, every time that came on, I would just cry, you know, because I lost myself and it hurt me so bad. It made me realize that I don't ever want to go through that hurt again. So anything, if I have another, another chance to be great at something, I'm going to do everything I can to be great at it. Because during those times where you're missing something and you lose your identity, you start thinking, maybe I should have worked out harder. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe if I stayed in the weight room, maybe if I worked in my 40 time, maybe if I, you know, you question yourself over and over. And having known that and known that pain, I knew that if I ever got a chance to do something else, I was never going to walk away with the question of maybe I would have, maybe I should have. Maybe. No, I did everything I was supposed to do. And that was what I think made me successful. Having been an athlete, having experienced defeat before and understanding how to deal with it and how not to ever want to feel that feeling again. I think is what really propelled me. That's good. Now, during after school, you get the job. You're in corporate America right now. And sure. leading up to your your time as you start in the opera, were there any times during that nine to 10 year period where you looked around and said, man, this, this isn't what I want to do? Or, or were you pretty comfortable with, with that? You know, uh, in retrospect, oftentimes I looked at myself and thought, I'm doing a really good job at selling data storage to these data centers and to the World Bank and to Federal Reserve and Defense Logistics Agency and all these other customers I had. I know I'm supposed to be doing something better than this. Like, you know, it's like the average guy can do this and I never felt like I was an average guy. Mm. Like I always felt like, yeah, yeah, you're smart. Yeah, I'm smart. We do this. Everybody can do this. But I, I know I have something in me that's different and I didn't know what it was and how to get it out of me. I knew that I was, I had musical talent, musical gifts mm -hmm. as a young kid, but no one would ever believe me because I had nothing to prove it, you know? Right. I knew that I could hear things that people couldn't hear. I could go back and play any instrument I wanted to play. And, but no one really understand that in the corporate world. I got, you know, I just felt like I was a different cat. Mm -hmm. But it was really driven home when I got to uh, selling thermoplastic elastomers. <laughs> I hated that job. It was a cool <laughs> product, but the sales cycle was like 18 to 24 months and you had to get a spec in and you had to sit back with your fingers crossed and you're supposed to sell so many metric tons and I just was not feeling it. So I was like, okay, this can't be my life. Like I, I can't literally be doing this for the rest of my life. So yeah, those things, I, I spent many nights just questioning what it is I'm supposed to do. Like, Lord, you put me here. Why am I doing this? You know, what is it that you want me to do? Show me a path. And it all just kind of, Came together. After that time, you, you get the tryout with Boston University, the, their opera program, and mm -hmm. you get a, a scholarship. And you're yeah. at, what, 29, 30 years old at this point? 30. 30, 30 years old. Yeah. And that's not the, I guess, the <laughs> average time for a world-class opera singer to start studying and going after yeah. opera, correct? No. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, usually they would start right out of high school, mm -hmm. go to four years undergrad, go to two years of grad school, and then do a post-grad program then a young artist program, and then you're ready to go out and start trying to make it to opera stages. I was very blessed, and this is what encouraged me. You asked that I have doubt. Yeah, I had doubt before I took the audition. Mm -hmm. I had doubt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even sleep at night wondering, you know, should I do it, should I do it, should I do it? But I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, <clears throat> I have doubt because they're probably going to give me this opportunity, and I'm going to have a decision to make, you know, because mm -hmm. I knew what I could do vocally. So <clears throat> after the audition, when I got the job, I got the gig, uh, you know, I was prepared to resign. I resigned. I bought my next door neighbor's sob. I started working at Best Buy in the morning, loading TVs up, and then I went to class, you know. Um, about week, 
the first day they gave me the main role in Bluebeard's Castle and said, you're singing Bluebeard in Bluebeard's Castle. I'm like, holy cow, okay, that's a huge undertaking. You know, this is a Bella Bartok. This is atonal. This is weird music. It's in Hungarian. Like, you know, it's we did an English translation, but it, it's not easy. And it's like Bluebeard's Castle, and I was Bluebeard. And they gave me opening night. So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if you're going to do it, <laughs> they're going to find out really quickly if you can handle it or not. But then, like, a few weeks later, we were auditioning for the chorus of the, of the professional opera company, Boston Lyric Opera. And I went and auditioned for them, and they gave me some music and said, take this music back and learn it and sing it for us next week. So I took it, went home and learned it, came back next week and sang it for the music director. I got through the first two phrases, and he's like, he hired me to sing the King and Aida. So that was kind of God's way, I believe, of saying, you've made the right step. Here's a confirmation. Just go forth and do it. And I feel like whenever you take that step, you know, God has a way of showing you that you've made the right decision. And, uh, but it takes the courage to do it. And that's the hardest part most of us face to be dealing with life and life circumstances and all the accoutrement that life presents you. Uh, it's kind of hard to make that step. So, You know, what's interesting. You said, Morris, um, when you talked about doubt, because I, I do want to talk about that a little more. Uh, on a previous episode, I had somebody talk about the fear of success sometimes mm. overrides the fear of failure. And that sounds like something you were actually having to overcome because it's like mm. you had in your mind, you kind of knew that you were going to be able to make it. But it's like, what do I do if I do make it? So talk through that a little bit. How, how did you end up going forward and making that decision? Did you talk with your wife? Did you talk with mentors? How did that happen? The answer is yes. All the above. Um, yeah, I, it wouldn't have been a concern of mine if I didn't think I was going to make it, right? I already knew in the back of my mind that these people are going to present me with an opportunity. I'm going to have to make a real decision mm -hmm. that I'm not ready to make yet. So then I started, it started going towards, okay, if I get presented with the option of making this decision, then I should probably take that option because not everybody gets that option, you know? So... Yeah, the fear of success certainly plays into it, but you have to work your way through it because any inkling that you're going to be successful, what is it, was, it, was it Gerald Ford that says, if you think you're going to be successful or not, you're right? Mm -hmm. The man that thinks it's, he can and the man that thinks he can't, they're both right. That quote, is that Gerald Ford? Is that, yeah, is I think that, that was Ford, yeah. Or is that the other Ford, the one that made Ford cars? No, oh, Ford cars, Ford cars. <laughs> okay, that Ford, Henry Ford. That's the reality of it all, you know? So when it, when it became evident that, in my mind, he became everything, okay, I'm probably going to have to make a decision. When that decision came, I was like, you know, if you're good enough for this school to give you a full ride and a stipend, you might want to just check it out, you know, mm -hmm. just to give it a shot. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, I can always come back to corporate America. But it took a period to get through that. It took lots of discussions, lots of sleepless nights, talking to the wife, talking to the dad, talking to the teammates, talking to frat brothers. It's it was a nonstop journey of questioning whether or not I should. Mm -hmm. And then it became, all right, well, if you're good enough to make it, then yes, you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I've never looked back, not mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a, a strong support team around you. Now, would you say, would this support team be, you know, five people or was it a bunch of people? Because not, not everybody has that type of support. So you were definitely blessed to have that. So what would you say to somebody who might not have that type of support system around them? What would you suggest they do based on your, your experience? Well, you do have to have a support system because it's nice to get words of encouragement from people that believe in you. Mm -hmm. But honestly, the biggest 
person I had to sell me idea was me. Mm. And if I didn't have 15, 20 people around me, which I didn't, four or five, which I did, but if I didn't have me behind me mm. to say, come on, bro, you can do this. You can do this. Mm-hmm. You know you can do this. Mm-hmm. That's the person you got to convince. And that person is full of doubt and logic. Was it fear is camouflage as rationale? You have to avoid that. You know, mm-hmm. you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important person to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I, I've heard that so many times, <laughs> you know, during these first 10 or so episodes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, your conversation with yourself is so important. Like you said, it, it's the most important one. What are you saying yeah. to yourself, yeah. you know, prior? And you know, in sports, a lot of there's sports psychology. A lot of these guys, prior to stepping on the field, prior to going up the bat, or if they're on the line getting ready to shoot a free throw, they're talking mm-hmm. to themselves and yeah. they're they're saying positive <laughs> affirmations and saying, "Hey, we can do this. I can do this. I'm good enough." Uh, right. In order to make this happen, so I, man, that's that's awesome. I'm yeah. glad you shared that. So now. The funny thing I heard, too, was that I want to know if this is a true story. Uh-oh. Now, was your first time actually seeing an opera the time that you were actually on stage? Is that a true That's story? That's true. That's very true. That's true. Man. I'm singing Aida, Boston Lyric Opera, standing on stage in costume. <laughs> I'm holding my arms like this. I walk out on stage. They're playing all the fanfare. And I go, the heck is this? Because... <laughs> I'd never been to a real opera before. I guess technically you could say that my Bluebeard's Castle was an opera, but uh-huh. it was only two people in the whole show and it was inside a room at BU. Uh-huh. But I went to the actual opera house to go to an opera. I'm standing on stage. That was the first time I ever been to one. It was sung in Italian and it was Aida and it was written by Verdi and I was singing The World of the King and Aida, the most powerful man in the show. And I was like, holy cow, what the <laughs> heck am I doing up here? Boom, boom, boom. Oh, and start singing, you know? Uh-huh. So how, I, how how did that play out with you? Is it, is it kind of like football? Uh, I don't know if you experienced this as you were playing, uh, but my junior year, we were playing the Florida Gators. And I would say, Morris, that's one of the only two times where I actually stepped on the field and I did just like you. I was just like, wow. <laughs> but after that first snap, after the first hit, you know, it's muscle memory kicked in, training kicked in. It, was that the same for you? Yeah, I mean, it had to be, you know, in order to perform, you got to get rid of all that stuff. You know, you walk out there and it's like, I've done it before. You know, I mean, I played at the same school you played at. So mm-hmm. mine was at Georgia Tech my freshman year and I didn't even get in the game, but I was just on the field going, wow, I'm really here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because that was like a dream for me. Uh, but playing at a big stadium in my Carolina, my senior year, um, you know, when no one thought we were going to do anything and everyone picked us to lose. You out there in the 76,000 at the time, rocking and screaming, stands are rocking. You just go, wow. And then you line up and it's like, okay, well, I guess we're playing ball. I do this every day, right? Uh-huh. So then you just switch modes. So the same thing with the opera. It's like, I'm standing on stage and you're supposed to be involved with the scene and looking like this. But I was looking at the audience like, holy cow. <laughs> and then the downbeat happened. Dun, dun, hard, hard, hard. And you just start going. And you tune out and you tune in and you realize, okay, it works. It's like the first snap. They snap the ball, you come off the line, you make a little contact, they blow the whistle, you realize, I'm alive. Okay, I can do it again. Same thing with me. You know, I go out, I see my notes, people like it. it went well, okay, I guess I can do this again. And, you know, you just build that confidence that way. So, so you, said there was a, and you said there was a correlation between football and the opera. 
Um, what is, what's one of those correlations? Let's say, let's talk about like coaches or your, your singing coach. How are those similar and how, how did playing football at a high level help you transitioning over to opera? Well, being a musician, especially in classical music, takes the ability to take a lot of direction from people. You know, um, coming into this game late, I wasn't familiar with style. I wasn't familiar with languages. So I had to take a lot of lessons on that. And I had to be able to take that information in and then apply it immediately. Most of the time, it wasn't met with a coach yelling at me or blowing the whistle or putting his foot up my butt or popping you outside the helmet. So anything other than that was a lot easier for me. You know, someone's telling you, hey, pronounce it this way. Let me hear you do it again. Oh, that was a beautiful phrase. Sing it again. That's much easier than, God dang it. Da, da, da. So, you know, <laughs> I was trained for that, to be coachable, to be able to make the uh, implementation, make the adjustments, and then implement, you know, make, make the change. So that's very similar. Dealing with coaches, taking direction, very similar. Like I said, your body's your instrument, very similar. Working out, lifting weights, eating right, cutting out the partying, you know, not participating in certain things, not going to certain things, you know, keeping yourself secluded so you can be healthy. Same thing, opera, you know, same thing. So I've lived that life my whole life. So I feel like the other, I feel like one prepared me for the other, you know, being an athlete prepared me for being a musician. Mm-hmm. in all aspects so now if you could go back to let's say we had a time machine i could give you and let you borrow it for a little while morris what would you go back and or how would you go back and mentor mentor the younger morris robinson as he's going into this you know journey what's one thing that you would let's start with this what's one thing that you would say hey you're doing good at this keep on doing this, whether it's a mentality, whether it's your work ethic, what's one of those things? Probably work ethic and, and, and uh, stick to itness. You're good at this, stay focused, always stay out of trouble and keep going down this path. Some good things are going to happen for you. Oh, and by the way, sing a little bit more because they may come back to help you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, try, try not to party so much on the weekends because you're going to need that voice for the next 30 years. So that, that may come into play too. So now what, so is that then, I would think that's what you would do differently then, or the advice you would give your younger self, sing a little bit more? You know, in retrospect, the reality is no, because I think that we all are a conglomeration of our past, meaning that every experience that we have made us who we are today. And I can't think of any experience or any phase in my life that I would have foregone to make this a better spot right here. I mean, if I changed one or two things while I was in college, I might not be singing, I might be a lawyer. You know, if I change one or two things, my freshman year, I might not have switched my major to English and been a biology major and I'd be a doctor. So I wouldn't be a singer. You know, if I had switched things in high school and decided to take a music scholarship instead of an athletic scholarship, I would have never played ball and would have none of these references to go by. I'd probably be burnt out as a singer by the time I'm 30. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God has a plan for all of us and everyone's life is the same, but I wouldn't go back and change much about my past now. I love that. And I think that there's a great lesson in that, Morris, that some of us spend a lot of time and maybe the person listening to this spends so much time in the past and in regret. Mm-hmm. And we it's kind of like they tell you, hey, you need to, when you're driving a car, make sure you're looking through the, the front windshield more than you're looking at the rearview mirror or something right. dangerous is going to happen. So I think that's so good that you say that. And, and it's a common yeah. thing I hear with people like yourself, world-class people, people that are doers, that they don't spend much time in the past and regretting it because it's no. brought you to exactly where right. you are now and where you needed to be during certain times in your life. Right. 
so now what so what's next for you morris you know we're we're in the middle of this pandemic here i know you've had to change a lot of things had some shows canceled so what's next for you on your on your journey well i hope i'm singing at la opera in october of this year but so far everything else has been canceling um but no, I'm going back to school. I'm actually, uh, I start school next week. I can't believe I'm doing this to myself. But I got into Cornell University to study diversity and inclusion. Because I'm an African-American in this business, a lot of people have been calling on me as a veteran in this business to talk about the issues of diversity and inclusion and how we can improve on that. And there is no answer to this formula of the question. I think that all I brought to the table at this point was my complexion and my life experiences. So in order to better equip myself so that I can speak intelligently about these things. I figured I got this time off. I might as well educate myself. So I'm going back to school. Mm -hmm. It's a certificate program, but it's certifying me as a diversity and inclusion specialist who knows this, the subject matter and how to implement the programming and changes and the, and the things that must be done to, to correct and ameliorate this problem uh, that corporations are facing. So I'll be approaching it from a business standpoint, but opera is a business. And I'll be taking this course. I'm just doing all my courses back to back to back to back so I can have it knocked out mm -hmm. before the season starts. So I'm going to be on social media a lot less and studying a lot more. So that's the first thing. The other thing I do is get my voice back in shape. I got to start back singing, get back to my voice teacher, get back to my coaches, because if this opera does go, I have to relearn it because I haven't sung it since 2015. It's an Italian, and it's a, it's a great role, but it's a very vocally challenging role. It shows off. It, it takes... It takes virtuosic vocal capabilities to do it the right way. A lot of people just get through it, but I want to do it the right way because I'm on a big stage. I want to make sure I do it right. So um, I got to get myself back ready for that and spending time with my family. You know, my, my son is on the football team. Well, he's working out the football team. He doesn't want to play. I'm going to talk loud about that. He's going to play. But uh, he's 6'2", 307 pounds and can move pretty good and is very smart. So... Other than playing video games, all he wants, you know, I've got him doing that. So uh, when I get done with this call, in fact, we're going to the gym together, go lift weights. So, nice. yeah, I just, you know, try to enjoy as much of that as I can. And if we get back on our feet and start going, I'll be ready to go, you know. Well, you brought up something, you know, in these last few moments here. i got two more things to follow up with you on sure. or ask you about. The hurdle, or I don't know if you call it a hurdle, but obviously, um, and you've said this in a lot of your interviews, you being – who you are, your complexion, your race, going into the world of opera, what kind of hurdles, if any, did that present to you and, and how did you overcome those hurdles? So it's not a rearview mirror thing. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from the gut and from the heart and extemporaneously as I can. I never, I, listen, I'm, I'm black and I'm from Georgia. But with school in South Carolina, I know racism is real i know it exists but you know the beauty and the bad part about racism is most of the time you don't know if it's affecting you or not because it's done at levels now that you can't see it you just wonder like damn why didn't i get that promotion dang why didn't i get this you know dang why why didn't i get that role so i chose to focus on the things i could control the things i could control is how professional i was how well i presented myself how well i sang how well my Italian was pronounced, my German pronounced, my Russian, my French, my surreal, everything I did, you know, uh, I tried to be the best I possibly could because we know as African-Americans in this country, historically, you have to be better than the best there is to be average, you know. So 
I knew that no one could outwork me and no one could outdrive me. Mm. And I knew that if I put my mind to it, I could be. So I was hoping that my talent and my work ethic would outweigh all the other negativities. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you, honestly, if I've not gotten a role because I'm black, I'm sure it's happened. I can't tell you, honestly, if I've not gotten certain positions at certain companies because I'm black, I'm sure it's happened. But I can tell you that I didn't focus on that. I focused on what I could do to make a change, to make an impact, and to show people that if given the opportunity, putting someone like, that looks like me on stage is not a liability, but an asset. Mm. And it's been working. It's been working. That's so strong. that's how I see it. That's strong right there. So now last question, Morris, and this is one I ask every one of our Doer's Journey podcast uh, guests. And that question is, what do you feel like your doer's superpower is? What is that one trait, value, or something that's really helped you in life that's helped you get to where you are now? Wow. See, it's unfair because... (laughs) (laughs) It's an unfair question because I truly believe that my superpower is mm-hmm. God has just blessed me with an immense amount of talent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's allowed me to do something other people can't really do. And I don't take a lot of credit for that. I give him credit for that. Like mm-hmm. He gave me this freakish voice and this freakish music capability. Know me, who wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm going to go try to sing opera and sing it in eight different languages really loud and over an orchestra. Like that's just not something everyone can do. So that's my superpower, but really my 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 uh, my mortal power is probably focus. Like I'm all over the place, man. Until I don't want to be, mm-hmm. I'm all over the place. I'm doing 15 different things at once until I don't, mm-hmm. and then it's like, and nothing can stop me then. So. <laughs> that sounds like what you're going to be here over the next several months as you go into know. Your, your studies. Uh, I know. I don't know why I did this to myself. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I think just like you said earlier, it's part of the mission and God's path for you. Yeah. Everything you've done up until this point, it's it's perfect right now. And yeah. now whatever the next steps are, you just you're just going down yeah. that path. So that's all. Yeah, awesome. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I've already committed to it. I've told it I've told companies about it, I've told my kid about it. I've told my son about it now, so I'm not gonna fall off. I'm Gonna get this done. I'm gonna focus, get done, and show him what it's like to focus and do these things. And I'm leading by example. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the what do you call it, the edification journey. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Morris, I think that's a great place for us to stop right there. Your story has been one that's inspired me ever since I got out of school and I learned about oh, wow. you. So, you know, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you. Definitely keep letting your light shine because we need you. We need people like you in this world doing what they do, and we truly appreciate you. And likewise, we appreciate you and you doing this show and and advocating for and putting on display people that you believe have a positive impact on society. So thank you for doing your thing too. God bless you, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Doer's Journey family, as you go out, uh, make sure you, as you've taken notes during this podcast or you've listened to it, as we always say, make sure you take action on something that you heard Morris talk about during this, that you can go out and apply and get results from. And then also to learn more about Morris, you can go to morrisrobinson.com and then you can also see him on social media at Morris Robinson Base. So you can see what he's doing out there and what else he has going on in his world. All right. And as usual, 
Go out there, make it a great day, and don't just be hearers. Go out there and be doers. Thank you for listening to the Doer's Journey podcast. If you'd like to connect on social media, you can go to Instagram or Facebook and search the Doer's Journey podcast and we'll connect there. And also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. By leaving us a rating, you let us know how we can help you on your Doer's Journey and you also help other people find this podcast. Now go out there, make it a great day, and remember, don't just be a hearer, go out there and be a doer.